Welcome to Wilderness Time. I'm Stephanie Spellers, and along with my co-host Dwight Shiley, we're glad to have you. In this digital series, we explore the challenge of following Jesus and leading His church in a season of disruption, displacement, and possibility. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Dwight Shiley. I'm an Episcopal priest who serves as uh, Vice President of Innovation and a Professor of Congregational Mission and Leadership at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm Stephanie Spellers. I serve as Presiding Bishop Curry's um, Canon for Evangelism, Reconciliation, and the Care of Creation. And um, we're looking forward to these sessions with you and especially to this opening. To begin, please join me in prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy God, there is nowhere that we go that you are not already present, paving the way, providing manna, providing your cloud by day and fire by night. Allow us to know you in a special way in this wilderness journey. Allow us to be keenly aware of your voice, your love, your presence, and also the companions you have given us we do not know, O oh God, what is ahead. We do not know what tools we have will be the most useful for this time, this season, but we do know that you will be with us. And for that blessing and for all the gifts yet to come that we could not even begin to ask or imagine, we say thank you and we say amen. Thank you, Stephanie. So. So this, uh, this whole series is exploring the biblical wilderness as a way of thinking about this moment in the life of the church and in our world. So this episode in, in particular is going to try to address this challenge of how do we, or, or we don't know how, to fully embrace the wilderness, its uncertainty, its austerity, its suffering, and its loss. How might we follow our biblical forebears and trust God's lead when it's not clear exactly what's happening and what and where we're going. So this episode's going to um, look at the biblical wilderness narratives as um, a way for us to un unpack what it means to experience disruption and deliverance through God's agency. And so we thought it would be most fitting to invite as our first guest um, a scholar of the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible who could help us dig into um, those texts. And so it's my delight to welcome to uh, this series, Dr. Michael Chan, who is a professor of Old Testament at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm, uh, Michael has chosen a text for us um, to, um, to, to frame our time and to dig into. And uh, Michael, I want to invite you to, um, to just uh, go ahead and, and read this text and then say a little bit about uh, why you chose it as a way into the conversation. Yeah, thanks Dwight and thanks to everybody else for the chance to be here. The, it's neat to see so many faces from, from all over the US. I didn't see any international people, but uh, maybe that's, uh, that's true and welcome to you as well. Well, this is Exodus 16. Um, as many of you are probably aware, the the wilderness is a very common place for God's people to be. And that wasn't only true for the Israelites as they were coming out of Exodus. That's uh, true really throughout Israel's history, even in its, uh, in its early stages with, uh, you know, with Abram and Sarai crossing over the desert from uh, Mesopotamia 
to, uh, to the promised land. And of course, for Jesus himself, right, he goes through his own time in the wilderness uh, immediately, at least in the market account, immediately after being baptized. And so the wilderness is sort of part of our DNA. We're kind of a traveling faith. And uh, so this is just one of the more kind of iconic texts. You'll also notice that, that we've sliced and diced some of the verses a little bit. This was not to avoid offensive texts, um, which are among my favorite, but, but uh, this is in fact to just uh, to kind of get down to the core of the story. Um, it's, it's a very lengthy chapter. So I'll just read these verses and then we'll kind of dive in from there. This is Exodus 16 verses one through five and then 11 through 20. <clears throat> the whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim, And Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. An omer uh, omer to a person according to the number of persons. All providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so. Some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. The house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So there's our text. Um, well, like I said, the, <clears throat> this is just one of many wilderness texts that we have it, throughout the biblical text. And this is really the first kind of story that emerges after Israel's been freed, uh, freed from Pharaoh's, uh, from Pharaoh's bondage. Um, but if you remember the Pentateuchal story, right, the, the, the children of Israel will, will travel up until Exodus 19, they'll travel up to the Mount, up to Mount Sinai, where they will remain until uh, around Numbers 10. So, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. 
and they will stay there at Sinai. Sinai is really kind of the center point of the whole Pentateuch. And then they will continue their journey through the wilderness uh, in a sort of circuitous kind of way until they finally end up uh, uh, in, in the promised land itself. But all throughout that, there are these wilderness stories, these stories of how Israel faced adversity in the desert, but were yet, and yet were called upon to trust that the God with whom they traveled um, uh, was also going to take care of them. So, um, Dwight, I'm not sure how you want to proceed. That That's probably enough in terms of preface and on the text, do you think? Or Yeah, that's great. Thanks, thanks Michael. And Stephanie, jump in as well. Um, so let's just relate these texts, um, and even this one specifically a bit, to um, what we're facing right now, you know, in the church and, and in this world, in this a very disruptive, uh, volatile moment um, in, you know, in American history and in world history with the pandemic. Um, and just what is there about our current situation that feels so much like a wilderness time? Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in I grew up in northern Arizona where there is a lot of wilderness. And, you know, oftentimes when you look out at the wilderness, it looks pretty static. Um, you know, maybe you get some wind and dust devils and things, but it looks like a pretty static place. The the wilderness stories in the biblical text are anything but static. They're actually they feel quite chaotic at times. Sometimes they feel dangerous, right? Because that's one of the kind of associations with the wilderness is that it is a place of threat. And you'll notice that, that the text frames this in terms of testing, right? Um, Walter Brueggemann in his kind of monumental commentary on Exodus points out that part of what God is doing in these wilderness stories is that God has taken the Israelites out of an economy of domination, namely under Pharaoh, right? Where they were themselves dominated as slaves and, and uh, uh, as victims and is now teaching them to, to function within an economy of trust. And oftentimes, if you are anything like me, life's most important lessons are often the ones that are hardest to learn, and they often have to be learned through, through adversity and through challenges. And so part of what God is trying to kind of teach God's people in this time is that they are to trust him for daily bread, right? That, that human inclination to want to store up and make sure that we can deal not only with today's adversity, but also with tomorrow's. God is trying to teach them a different kind of lesson about trusting in the midst of adversity. And, you know, I think that this is a really, I don't know, um, but like the wilderness really does represent danger in a couple different ways. I don't know if any of you have spent time in uh, bear country before. I'm thinking specifically of grizzly bear country, but, you know, if a I spent a lot of time in uh, uh, Glacier National Park. I worked there for a summer. And so you have to do all kinds of bear training and whatnot. And one of the things that they teach you to do is that if you are ever attacked by a grizzly bear and, you know, maybe you don't have your bear spray with you unwisely, um, you should uh, kind of curl up and protect your vitals, right? So you want to protect things like your neck. Uh, from being mauled or your your insides, and so curl up, curl up like a ball if it comes to uh, a person being attacked. And I think that inclination to want to turn in and take care of me and just sort of be be fearful and look inside is a really common response to uh, situations of crisis, so situations of, of scarcity in the wilderness, there, there is this inclination to want to look inside. But part of what God is trying to get the Israelites to do is not to look just at their own resources, but to look up, right? And to say, God, you have promised to provide for us in this wilderness. And, and, and God's trying to teach them that lesson 
through daily bread by kind of forcing them in some ways to be dependent upon God's daily bread. God is forcing them to take their eyes off of themselves and off of their old past in which they uh, kind of existed in this economy of domination and to put their eyes directly on God and to trust that God will be good. And, and, and it's through this practice, right? That's what's interesting is that God doesn't ask them here like to believe anything, right? God invites them into a very specific daily practice of dependence. And that daily practice of dependence is just, you know, going out and getting the bread and trusting that God is going to provide um, and, 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 and avoiding sort of store, storing it up. And so that practice of dependence is one way that God is trying to create faith in their hearts. So... Um, that's so in our, in terms of our own kind of moment right now, so many things we're, we're currently in a moment of remarkable disruption uh, on so many different levels around issues of racial justice, around issues of, of COVID-19. And, and then also just in our politics more broadly, are there are these kind of, this is another way that you can use the term intersectional, right? Is that we are at the conf- convergence of, of a number of intersecting problems, um, some of which are global. We could even throw climate change in there as well. There are so many things that are kind of at, we're at the convergence of so many different crises and it just feels like there is no way to get control over it. I mean, I was, I was on the, uh, on the chat with a, a friend on Facebook the other day and I said, did you realize that six months ago there was an impeachment <laughs> inquiry? And, and I said, 2020 is a crazy year. Impeachment, COVID-19, um, George Floyd's death, uh, all of our political polarization. It is endless the number of, of, of things that 2020 is bearing. You know what? This year is bearing so much, and it feels like so much is out of control. But even in the thick of that, even in the thick of working toward a more just world in a chaotic environment, God calls us, trust me in this wilderness. The reason you can trust is because you do not travel alone right? You travel with the God of the Exodus and that God of the Exodus that once freed you from Pharaoh in the past will also free you from every other Pharaoh that you encounter in the future. So I, maybe that's a good uh, place to stop for a second. Dwight and Stephanie. I Thanks, feel Michael. Like I'm just... Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. So where do you want to go next? So I'm curious um, if if you wouldn't mind even naming just maybe some of the moments that you look to in scripture and just even kind of like offering them up about where the wilderness has been so significant in the lives of God's people. Yeah, that, okay, that's good. I was thinking um, wilderness and scarcity have some really bad effects on human beings, really interesting effects, maybe is another way of putting on human beings. Let's keep in mind that, that Israel's first kind of major act of unfaithfulness takes place in the wilderness, right? I'm thinking in particular of, of Exodus 32 um, through 34. And this is the, (laughs) I think my, my PhD professor humorously referred to it as calf gate, um, <laughs> this is when um, uh, the golden calf incident occurs. Now, remember how that story starts. I'll read the very first verse, 32.1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, come make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, uh, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know his, what, what has become of him. 
uncertainty is often the breeding ground of idolatry when it is met with fear and not faith. Uncertainty is often a breeding ground for idolatry because we, we, want, we don't want to be in a space when we don't know that we don't know. You know, not knowing and not having certainty is often, uh, you could say, the devil's playground. Um, we also, of course, see Jesus tempted in the wilderness, right? And, and I mentioned uh, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, um, where Jesus is baptized in uh, verses 9 through 11. And then you know how Mark is, right? There's no fluff. It's just sort of action, action. And then immediately in verse 12, the spirit immediately drove Jesus, hurls him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. It's remarkable. I think a lot of times when we talk about the work of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, we think of fuzzy things and and happy things (laughs) and beautiful things. Um, But the spirit throws him into adversity. Right, like Jesus first, uh, after being baptized with the Spirit, the first thing that the Spirit does is to throw him into conflict, and and I think that that we often there's this human tendency to see conflict as something that needs to be kind of quickly equalized or overcome, but what if conflict? If we do that, if we're too quick to kind of silence conflict and try and just sort of get over it or paper over it, we can be missing the work of the Spirit. Because oftentimes, I think, if you kind of read through the Gospels, you'll find that when the Spirit shows up, often so do the devils, and so do the demons, which means that conflict is there. And so, a part of me, you know, I I look at our current situation where we have all kinds of, like I said, interlocking, intersecting conflicts at work right now. We could say, oh, I just want to get back to a time when we didn't hate each other. (laughs) I just want to get back to the time when society felt like it was, you know, sort of calm seas. But it may be that in all that conflict, the spirit might be surfacing or bringing to light all of the demons that have been in the closet. And so as church leaders, we need to get more comfortable with being in spaces of conflict and not rushing to an idolatrous form of equilibrium in which the spirit is actually silenced and not heard. So, um, Michael, one of the words that's popped up so far in this conversation is control. And, you know, I wonder if part of the, um, you know, the opposites here is this sort of uh, the kind of generative conflict that takes place in the wilderness versus an impulse to control. You know, the, the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that came out this week saying that 80% of Americans feel like the country's spiraling out of control. You know, and it's so natural to want to control. And yet um, to take us back into this uh, manna text you know, where if you can store it up, you have control for the next day over over your bread, right? Your provision rather than trusting in God. Um, so I wonder about that spiritual lesson. And then how do we think about that as leaders in this moment who are leading Christian communities in the midst of um, both this conflict and, and the temptation to try to control? Yeah, this is great. So I think part of what we need to do as leaders is think really hard about meaningful practices, and I'm thinking especially of different forms of prayer, that help us embody trust or practice trust in God, even when we may not feel it, right? Like how we feel about trusting God is neither here nor there. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. But by by developing a life that is kind of oriented around practices of trust and practices of faith, like opening the hand to the neighbor when all you feel like is being kind of cautious and scarce, you know, having a a scarcity, um, what would it look like to develop specific practices that would be meaningful for your community 
that are a way of sort of training you in trust, training you that the God of the wilderness travels with you, you know, training you that the same Jesus who overcame temptation in the wilderness also walks among you and, and, and gives you the same, the faith, the faith to do similarly. So I, I go quickly kind of to practices of prayer there, but I think there are probably other ways of just practicing trust, practicing generosity that could potentially be helpful there. It's in some ways practices of letting go, right? And, and, or, and of, and of tr- saying, God, we will do what we can to be faithful what we have, but there are also things that if we try to control them, more damage may emerge from our attempts to control <laughs> uh, uh, those things than not. Is that too, is that too uh, abstract, do you think, Dwight and Stephanie? Or do you want to go more concrete? Feel free. If you've got something that you want to offer about when you've seen, maybe when you've seen a community navigating the wilderness well, what were some of the skills um, and the practices that you saw them taking on? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a, I'm not thinking of an example immediately, but maybe I'll just offer up a couple of, a couple of things. Um, Luther, Martin Luther, um, often talked about stories like Genesis as, as these are great examples of what it looks like to live uh, life in, in a, in, uh, with all of its kind of challenges and uh, um, opportunities to believe or not to believe. And so I personally, I think a great practice is to take people through these stories, um, uh, these stories of the wilderness and to say, in many ways, we are also like the Israelites traveling with God, you know, following God's glory cloud through the wilderness, we don't know, you know, what, what the next day is going to look like. All that we know is that, uh, is that God will be leading us through it. And so I think this is kind of a good moment to reacquaint people with, with their story, right? This is our family story. This is part of the, uh, what Paul says is our inheritance. When we are grafted on to the vine of Israel, that story becomes our story as well. And so I think we're now at this time where we can kind of think about what would it mean to develop a scriptural imagination? What would it mean to, to think that we're traveling alongside the Israelites, um, going through the wilderness, trusting God, not certain what's going to happen next, but certain that we're going with the God who is, you know, faithful to us. So, uh, but I also, you know, Dwight and Stephanie, I know the two of you spend a lot of time in and around congregations. I would be happy to hear from the two of you as well about stories of traveling through the wilderness. Thanks. You know, Michael, um, one of the things that comes to my mind is uh, an experience I had several years ago of uh, listening to a team of diocesan leaders from an Episcopal diocese. And they were, they were looking at the congregations in their diocese and they made a, a comment that an observation that has just haunted me ever since. They said, most of our congregations can't identify their source of hope. And as I look at what's going on in, I think, the church right now in this difficult time, but also in society more broadly, I think many people are struggling to identify a source of hope. And I imagine that was what it was. It felt like being Israel in the wilderness as well. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that, to the question of hope in this kind of um, environment with, where there's enormous loss. Yeah, no, this is good. And okay, let me try and dovetail this with um, a story from the, uh, an interim congregation that I had recently had a chance to lead. They were also in, in kind of a, a moment of grieving and sorrow. They had had a number of interim pastors and, um, 
just some uh, negative experiences there. And it, it's, it seemed to me that, that we as a congregation needed to kind of enter into uh, a season of healing and a season of kind of reflecting on how God was actually at work in, in this place. Because I think it, that congregation felt to me like uh, a place where they were just sort of doing church to do church, but there wasn't this sense of kind of fire in the eyes, you know, of God has a mission for us. You know, we're not just here to be here, but we're here because the spirit of God has called us to be here. And there wasn't that sense of, of destiny, right? For lack of a better term, that sense of we are called. And so we just spent a little bit of time uh, collecting stories from the congregation and saying, how have you experienced Jesus in this place? You as, as an individual. And what that does is it's an opportunity for people to practice discernment and to say, how, how are we actually experiencing the spirit of God here? And it's remarkable, right? And most of these stories have nothing to do with like my preaching, right? <laughs> they have everything to do with people loving each other and have everything to do with people visiting one another when they're sick. I mean, that is a, uh, there's no humble, bra- there's no false humility there. Like I think probably 10% had to do with my preaching, <laughs> which, which is just great, right? Which is awesome. Um, and so part of what I think we need to do is take this opportunity to just reflect on how God is actually at work. And the people in your congregations are experiencing God all the time. That's part of the, the conviction that we have to train ourselves to kind of practice is that I'm not just here to lead a Bible study or to preach every week or to do whatever else I do in the church every week. I, am, I believe that God is actually at work here and we have to help others um, recognize how the glory cloud also rests over your church steeple too. Um, and so I'd say, you know, inviting people to reflect on that because as people begin to name God's work, gratitude arises. When you start to realize, oh my word, God, uh, you know, God through uh, uh, the usher just changed that person's life you know, within, in a 30 second uh, conversation that, uh, that the usher just had with the newcomer, you know, these things are happening everywhere, but we, we don't always take time to listen for them or to identify them. And so this may be, you know, a good opportunity to engage in that kind of stuff. And, and as we hear those stories of the spirits work in congregations, those stories create faith, those stories stir up gratitude in people's hearts, uh, et cetera. So, um, yeah. Sorry, Dwight, if that was a little bit off. <laughs> Maybe repeat the question or let's see where you want to go next. It's fantastic. I wonder if there are any questions from the group. We'd love to kind of open it up. Um, feel free to offer your questions in the chat. Um, we may even, dare I say it, if you do the like a thumbs up, if you have a question, we could conceivably call on you um, or you can write it into the chat. Are there things you're wondering about? about wilderness time. So here's a question it looks like um, from Amy. I'm curious what idols people are seeing arising, particularly in their communities. I think naming this as an aspect of anxiety is powerful and helpful. You wanna speak to that, Michael? Yeah, let me. I want to invite the the question to to more broadly, but I just want to say something about the language of idolatry. That's a, a really important. That's important language for the biblical texts. I sometimes think it feels um, 
hard to grasp in the modern day. So I prefer to use Jeremiah's image of, image of idolatry, which is broken cisterns. Um, and so you think about like, uh, if, if you are, you know, li- uh, living in an environment, an arid desert environment like Israel, a broken cistern is, is an image of death, right? That's, that's an image of, uh, of, 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 of death for nomads, death for agriculture, et cetera. And so these are, instead of the language of idolatry, I use this language of these are fractured human vessels that don't hold water. They can't hold the source of life. They leak. They might look at first, you know, like they're going to do the job, but, you know, half an hour later, there's nothing left in it. And so that might be another way of posing the question is, what are the leaky cisterns that we find ourselves leaning on in times of uncertainty that aren't actually Christ himself. Here's another question. How does the wilderness narrative challenge or reorient our understanding of the church as an institution? Well, it's on the move, isn't it? Um, it, It's always on the move. I I remember one of my uh, old professors he used to talk about how significant it was that the legal material, you know, like in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, is given while they are on the journey. It's on the road. It's something that happens while you are traveling. And no surprise, right, that once when you kind of look, compare Exodus to Deuteronomy, you find that some of the laws have changed um, and that development is happening. And so it's it, it, so part of part of why this is important is is just that to recognize that the church is always having to kind of respond right to to the world around it and respond to new needs that may not have been seen back in Exodus, but now they're seen in Deuteronomy in, in kind of new and fresh ways. And so we are on this journey. And uh, I think at, at the heart of the the institution, the, the journeying institution is of course trust, right? Um, there is a desire to structure life right, the laws, to structure life in a way that is good for the neighbor, that's good for us, that's good for people. Do, do the Israelites always get it right? No, right? That's why changes have to be made. Do we always get it right? No, that's why changes have to be made. Um, but, but at the heart of it, I think, is this kind of community of trust. It's a community of worship and a community that is trying to build a society, to build a people that is, uh, that is grounded in the life of God. You want to kick it off? Sure. Well, so we wanted to just take a few more minutes um, with some conversation and um, before we close out um, by the top of the hour. And um, Stephanie, um, one of the things that uh, that you were hearing, you shared a little bit on, on the breakout was just thinking about what is the personal toll for being in the wilderness? You want to say a little more about that? Yeah, I will. Um, I feel like one of the reasons that so many of our forebears and so many of us are seeking those idols, seeking that that firm ground, seeking answers. Um, one of the reasons is the Israelites you know, were storing up manna, even though they were told not to, like some people still tried, is because of fear um, that, that being in the wilderness, and um, I heard someone recently describe it. He said, I feel like we're driving, we've just like been driving down this road And suddenly my cell signal is gone. My GPS doesn't work anymore. (laughs) And and yet I'm being told to keep driving. Um, It's like, that is scary stuff. Um, And so what I'm finding is this need for just being gentle 
being gentle mm-hmm. with myself, being gentle with other people. It's it's so tempting to go into to almost like a judging mode and be like, you need to be able to deal. You, know? <laughs> uh, you need to be able to deal in the wilderness, be able to deal with uncertainty. If you were faithful, you could do it. And the truth is that there's just something, there's an existential terror, y'all, an existential terror um, that people are facing. And and I think the other part of that is for a lot of folk, the, the thing they turn to in the midst of existential terror would have been their church building and they can't go in there. So there's more fear and terror. <laughs> so, so yeah, I just, I don't want to ever underestimate the power of that that force among us. No, Stephanie, I think that's actually a really important point, uh, especially to bring up in the Exodus story, right? Because think about where these people are coming from. Um, They're coming from uh, a situation of slavery Mm -hmm. and and violently, uh, uh, violently enforced slavery. And so alongside terror and fear, you can also add the word trauma. And I think often our, you know, most, dogged idols, the ones that hold on to us strongest, you'll often find them feeding off of our trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And and so um, that, I think you're right, Stephanie, the impulse to compassion. And that's part of why I don't like the term idol because we use it as like a club too much. Um, and it also, and it doesn't capture the, the, the kind of deep interconnection between idols and woundedness. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate, I think you're right, Stephanie, what you're saying. Yeah, indeed. Dwight, you had some wonderings during the break as well. I did. So my wondering is um, whether, so if is one of Israel's primary lessons to learn in the wilderness as, and to learn it through practice and behavior, not through kind of book learning, was to trust in God's agency and leadership when they had been formed for generations to um, to trust in, you know, what Brueggemann would call the gods of empire, right? Management, control, slavery, all of that. Ellen. And the god of freedom is one that you can't contain. And you you have to trust and be led by. And I wonder about that being our opportunity spiritually in this moment as well. Michael, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Um, it is not often that circumstances come around when we can see our idols as clearly as we can now. Um, A lot of times I think some of the most difficult work that Christian leaders do is trying to convince people that there are problems. Um, But when you're in the middle of a crisis, sometimes the crisis delivers up the problem in spades, right? And you don't have to convince people anymore. You know, okay, there's a problem. We have to deal with it. And so prayerfully, I, I would encourage you prayerfully to just think like, what are some of those fractures that are now becoming apparent because of the crisis that maybe I can deal with now just because of how apparent it is to everybody? I think that's an important question to consider. I'm not asking you to take advantage of people, but I'm asking you to recognize that it it is very rare for us to be able to see as clearly as we do now. Um, And to think about it in terms of COVID, uh, there's much more attention now to how vulnerable populations are impacted by uh, kind of global pandemics like this. We can see that more clearly and it kind of breaks open an opportunity, I think, to lead uh, lead us into a more just situation. So. May it be so. May it be so. <laughs> um, 
Michael, it has been wonderful having you. And it's also been great having everybody who's joined in. Um, we want to remind you that next week we will do it again, five o'clock Eastern. We'll have session two of Wilderness Time. This time around, we'll be sitting with Michael Beck and Katie Nakamura Rangers talking about being the church scattered. Now, there's an experience everyone can resonate with. Let's just close with a quick blessing. Um, let us pray. May the God of freedom who delivers people from slavery and oppression into spaces in which things aren't always certain and straightforward, may that God who provides sustenance to us day by day and presence to us and hope lead us forward and help us to lead the people that we are entrusted with forward into the future that you have promised, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. See you next week. Blessings Thanks, everyone. God be with you in the wilderness. Thanks for joining our conversation. If you'd like to engage more, check out video and study options and episode descriptions at wildernesstime.org. We'll be back next week for more A Wilderness Time. God bless you on the journey.